Well, greetings, brethren. Hopefully you can hear me clearly. Maybe you could just go ahead and uh, type in the chat uh, that I am coming through clearly. I, I have to say that I have mixed feelings about the study this evening. Uh, on the one hand, uh, I'm always uh, rejoicing whenever we can dive into God's word together. And on the other hand, I have to acknowledge a, a bit of sadness as we come to the end of our study of the book of Isaiah. Oh, thank you, seeing I'm coming through loud and clear. Thank you so much. Um, I, as I said, I'm just feeling a tinge of sadness. Can you believe that we began to study this book together three years ago, almost to the day, it was October, 2018, that we began the study of the book of Isaiah. And we've been studying it together for now three years. Uh, Isaiah feels like a friend, <laughs> feels like uh, just a, a comfort to us as he's given us so much understanding of what is going on in the world around us. And nevertheless, uh, we want to continue our study. We do want to conclude uh, the book this evening, uh, covering chapters 38 and 39. Uh, the book has 66 chapters. For those of you maybe who are just joining us, we actually began in what's called Second Isaiah with chapter 40 to chapter 66. So that's already in the archive. If you missed that, I would certainly encourage you to go into the archives and study those chapters. And now this brings to conclusion First Isaiah, which we'll also add to the archives and we'll also add to the Line Upon Line Bible Academy. We're taking all of these studies, these different books that we're studying, where we're going through line upon line and converting it into more or less an online Bible uh, correspondence or Bible video course for people to take it in small chunks, test their understanding and grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So hopefully you can support our initiative there. The website is lineuponlinebibleacademy.com. Very easy site to share with your friends and family and colleagues. Let's open with a word of prayer. Uh, then we'll conclude uh, Isaiah this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord God Almighty, uh, just ever so grateful because we know that you provide what we need as we need it. And certainly, Father, this pivotal book of Isaiah, especially when we combine it with Genesis and the book of Revelation and everything in between, uh, we really come to understand your will and your zeal. And we pray, Father, that we would be conformed to your will, to your zeal, and to the mind of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you'll bless uh, tonight's study and that you will just help us, great God Almighty, to act upon our understanding. We praise you and thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you very much, brethren. And uh, what we'll do here is um, we will go back just to pick up the tail end of chapter 37. Let me share my screen here. And just, uh, just the gist of it. And in fact, even before we go here, let's just maybe just do a quick review of first Isaiah. The first six chapters are really the introduction of the book and really stating the case that God has against his people. It's a vision that he's given to Isaiah against his own people, Judah, and specifically Jerusalem. 
And we come to understand that these people, the covenant people, suffer from the sin of pride. And they're stubborn and rebellious, even though they're his covenant people. And that culminates then in the calling of Isaiah and the beginning of his ministry, which he begins with his people being under a curse. That despite his ministry, they're not going to understand until the abomination that makes Judah desolate. Then we go from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 35, where we are seeing the playing out of this lack of trust in God and this pride, not only in Judah and Jerusalem, but also in uh, Samaria, the kingdom to the north, and also in the Gentiles, that this, this sin of pride, which is the sin of Satan, plagues all mankind. And then we see the fruit of that with these judgments, these terrible judgments, again, not only upon his people for their pride, uh, Judah and, and uh, Samaria, but also upon all the Gentiles. So we see these terrible judgments pronounced on the Gentile nations as well, all because of pride. That takes us up to chapter 35. Last couple of weeks now, uh, last week we looked at chapter 36 and 37, and this week 38 and 39. In 36 and 37, we see a contrast. In chapter 7, we saw the behavior of King Ahaz. And in chapter 36 last week, we see the behavior of his son, Hezekiah, total contrast. King Ahaz did not trust God at all. And he preferred to turn to Assyria for help and, and, and to rely on Assyria against the uh, northern kingdom and their partnership with Syria. So we saw that in chapter 7. Even though the offer of God's help was there, God was willing to show him a sign that he would support him, he didn't want God. Now we see Hezekiah, his son, behaving in the exact opposite way. He actually trusts God. So we see, we see this trust uh, that, I, that um, Hezekiah has uh, in God, in the God of Judah. And just sets a wonderful, wonderful example. And, and because of that, now we'll come to uh, chapter 37, which we covered last week. But just sort of the, the gist of chapter 37. Let me just share my screen here. The, the gist of it, we see here, uh, sort of we can just culminate, what, what do we get from, from the chapter? He says, and this, verse 30, shall be the sign unto you, which again, he, he uh, was given this sign. Uh, this now is the sign you shall eat this year, such as grows of itself. So you just survive on the land and the second year that which springs of the same. And in the third year, you will sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruit thereof. So this is all you really, you'll be freed in the third year of this threat. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again, take root downward and bear fruit upward. This is fascinating. These people, this tribe, has been on the earth for thousands of years with tremendous forces of evil against them, arrayed against them, trying to eliminate them. And all these nations come and go, they disappear, we can't find traces of them anywhere, but this tribe remains. And here we see God acting supernaturally to ensure that they escape from Assyria and that they take root downward and bear fruit upward. And, and still to this day, despite even the, the recent Holocaust, we still have these people on the earth. 
and, and now we see this uh, growing Islamic anti-Semitism gaining tremendous momentum and with a great will and desire to destroy and remove these people from earth, God won't allow it. They are his elect. And then he says, for out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. So if we want to understand what is God's excitement? What is his zeal? What is he pulling off? You know, I, I, we, we talk about the zeal or he talks about the zeal of the Lord as well in Isaiah 9. What is that all about? Because if we're his people, we should be excited about what he's excited about. So this is the zeal of the Lord of hosts that shall do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. And, and when we trust God, he looks after us and he looks after our enemies according to his will. Hezekiah trusted God. And now God is acting on behalf of Hezekiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And we see in Matthew 24 that these servants of God, sort of the, the representatives of the prophecies of Isaiah in the end time, these servants of God, God says to them, you will be persecuted and hated by all nations for my name's sake. And here we see the zeal of the Lord is based on saving these people for his own sake and for his servant David's sake. There's, there's a, a promise that he's made that he's going to fulfill, and this is still true to this day. There's no escaping from the plan of the Lord, from the counsel of the Lord. So, so with that as sort of the backdrop from chapters 36 and 37, where there's this incredible existential threat, and Hezekiah, instead of panicking and running to Egypt or running to any other Gentile nation, he took all these letters and he just spread them before the, the, the Lord of Israel, the God of Israel, and he appealed to him. And God says, yes, I will defend you. So this is King Hezekiah, tremendous king, and sort of we sort of these opening bracket, closing bracket on this uh, chapters 37, uh, sorry, chapter 7 to 37. Uh, we open with the faithlessness of King Ahaz, and we close with the faithfulness of his son Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was such a remarkable figure, such a faithful king, that one could begin to believe, maybe this is Messiah. Maybe this is the promised king. And so Isaiah is going to make this very clear. Don't think that for a minute. No matter how remarkable a human being may be, no matter how faithful a human being may be, is still a human being. And so here we have this remarkable man with remarkable understanding and insight and faithfulness and, and a great example and, and, and turning the, the rebellious nation back to God after the rule of King Ahaz. Now, Isaiah is going to show us it's still just a human being we're dealing with. So what happens here? In chapter 38, verse 1, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. 
So we all get sick as sickness. And in fact, you know, right now we're quite familiar with this, with this pandemic of the COVID-19 virus, which initially had a 99.9% recovery rate. It was like a, a bad cold or a bad flu. Now it's, we're seeing variants that are becoming very deadly. However, when people get COVID, it's really not stick on to death necessarily. A lot of people get it, bounce back and move on. Uh, somehow it's turned into this major initiative uh, for the various governments of the world. But I think we're all familiar with this concept of being sick versus being sick unto death. So, so he had something. We don't know what it is. We're going to learn later on. There are boils on his skin. But he's some kind of sickness that he knows he's going to die. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amaz, came unto him and said to him, Thus says Jehovah. This is a thus saith the Lord. Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. So this is it. This is the sickness that's going to take you, take you down and out. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. So far, so good. So this, you know, Assyria came, and this is an existential threat. He turned to the Lord. Now, personally, he's being challenged with this deadly illness, and he turns to the Lord and prays. And he said this, Remember now, O Lord, I beg you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart. Hopefully, if we are stricken with an illness to death, that we could turn to God and say the same thing. Say, God, remember me, how I've walked before you in truth with a perfect heart. And I've done that, which is good in your sight. Amazing. That's quite some level of confidence this man could have. Because a lot of the kings, well, certainly all the kings of Israel and some half of the kings of Judah, the evaluation of their reign was that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here Hezekiah knows, I, I did what was pleasing to you, God, with a perfect heart. I did what was good in your sight. And then he wept sore. Now, why did this affect him so much as a man of God? Uh, it's kind of surprising to me today, actually, to see how panicked Christians are over death. Like, isn't that the whole point of following Christ, that we take hold, lay hold on eternal life? And yet this whole um, pandemic and the hysteria that goes along with it and the death count constantly in front of us and, and constant news of more cases, more deaths, uh, we've seen hysteria in the Christian community, which is surprising. We of all people on earth should, be, should have a sense of calmness and resolve around our mortality because the whole point of us turning to Christ is we want to live with him eternally. And yet many Christians panic. And so something with Hezekiah, despite his understanding, caused him to panic over his death. Now, we're going to learn, uh, actually it's not here, it's in um, the corresponding uh, narrative in 1 Kings 20 and 21. But there we see that when Hezekiah finally died, he was, he's going to be given an extra 15 years. But we see when he finally died and his son takes over, that his son was just 12 years old when he began to reign. This is Manasseh. So his son Manasseh takes over the throne 
at 12 years old. Hezekiah was given an extra 15 years. That means it was another three years from this point when he's, his life is spared that he went another three years before he had an heir to the throne. So, so maybe part of his heartache was the fact that he had no heir and that these promises uh, of the, the loyalty to uh, King, the, the house of David, maybe this was part of his grief. Not sure, but he certainly took this uh, in a way to me that it's a bit questionable. Why would uh, such a, a, a faithful man of God be so afflicted by the concept of his mortality? Mind you, maybe there's a lot now that we understand that they didn't understand at this time. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah saying, so based on Hezekiah's prayer and reaching out to God, now this revelation comes to Isaiah saying, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord. So the Lord said one thing, now the Lord is changing his mind. Now, this is not to be confused with what we see uh, I believe it's in uh, Amos. I might be mistaken there, but he says, um, and may, actually maybe it's Malachi, sorry. He says that I, the Lord, change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. So on the one hand, he says through Malachi, I don't change. And yet here we can read very plainly in Isaiah that he changed his mind. So, so how do we resolve this? A lot of people, when they read the passage in Malachi, that I am the, I, I the Lord change not, especially the Greek philosophers, they get into this sort of metaphysical, the unchangeable God and the, the first mover, the unchangeable mover, and get into this deep philosophy. But that's not at all what God was saying through Malachi. What he was saying through Malachi and what he's been saying from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and certainly we see it all the way through Isaiah, is that he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his covenant because he's entered into a covenant, an eternal covenant with Jacob. Despite their evil, they will not be destroyed because once he covenants, he doesn't change his mind. He's not like us. I'm going to marry you. Then I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to marry somebody else. I just change my mind. This is not the way the Lord behaves. Once he covenants, that's it. So the covenant is forever. That's why the sons of Jacob, despite their debauchery and evil, that's why they're not destroyed. So the fact here, uh, similar to Abraham when, and Moses, when they pleaded with God, God changed his mind. God can change his mind and, and he can respond to our prayers. So first, thus says the Lord, you're going to die. Now, based on Hezekiah's prayer, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer. And I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add unto your days 15 years. So this is a direct response. This is the God who answers prayer. And, and sometimes we may be praying and feel that our prayers are not answered. In fact, Pastor Murray has a, a, a habit, actually, of always saying to us, God answers prayer. It may not be the answer that we're looking for, but he always answers. So we need to have this confidence and this relationship with God, knowing he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. So here he says, I heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add unto your days 15 years. And I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto you from the Lord 
that the Lord will do this thing as he has spoken. So now God wants to give him this confidence, the same way he wanted to do to his father, uh, King Ahaz. He wanted to give him a sign so he would know. Here he's giving King Hezekiah a sign. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, so the sundial that King Ahaz made, so clock. Uh, I will bring it 10 degrees backward. So the sun returned 10 degrees, by which degrees it was gone down. Now that's something that we know God is doing. So no man can do this. So Hezekiah would see this and know that, wow, I'm going to live another 15 years. Similarly, in Matthew 24, when Christ tells us, when he's asked by his disciples, well, what's the sign of your coming? And he basically says, don't be deceived by people who are trying to tell you I'm here or I'm returning, and they don't know what they're talking about, they're false prophets and false teachers. He basically says this, when you see signs in the heavens, the stars and the moon and the sun, things that man cannot orchestrate, that's when you know. That's the sign. I'm doing this. So here, this is something that only God can do. And Hezekiah can now have confidence. Now, because of this answer, we now see a, a psalm from King Hezekiah. And so I should have mentioned at the beginning as well. So we'll conclude tonight with the book of Hezekiah. Next week, God willing, Pastor Murray is going to join me. And we're just going to have a live Q&A. So we'll just extend the study of Isaiah another week. Uh, so any questions that you've had as we've gone through over the past three years, this, this wonderful, amazing scroll of Isaiah, please uh, share them with us. You can email us ahead of time or even on the night. We'll take your questions live. Uh, just feel, feel free to share your questions with us. And we'll have a very hopefully robust discussion uh, to finally bring to a conclusion the book, but the formal study of Isaiah will end this evening. We'll do a Q&A next week. And Pastor Murray, God willing, will join me there. So now, and, and as I mentioned that to say, then after that, uh, we will return to the book of Psalms. So I believe we have one more book to get through in the book of Psalms, book five. We'll go through that. And uh, I also want to look at the contemporaries of Isaiah. During the feast, we looked at Micah, who was a contemporary in the south but also the prophets Amos and Hosea were also contemporaries with Isaiah, focused more on the northern tribes. And so God willing, we'll take a look at those books as well. I would love to get into Ezekiel, um, another big book. It'll take us a few years to get through. But for now, I, I'll hold off on that. Um, God willing, Psalms, and then uh, Amos and Hosea. So here's a psalm now from King Hezekiah. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. So this is his psalm. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. So just coming to ter terms with his mortality, as we all must. Death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. Our dear sister, uh, Mary Berdar, uh, recently lost her battle with cancer, and now she sleeps, and we await her resurrection. And please pray for her, her husband who survives her, our brother Joe, a uh, very faithful man. But death is an enemy. This is a painful thing. Uh, couples who've been together for decades, close, close together, and one is torn away. Uh, please remember him uh, in your prayers 
and his family. Uh, death is an enemy. And so here Hezekiah is coming to terms with his mortality. He said, I shall not see the Lord. And again, he wept bitterly. And, and why? Well, maybe here's part of it. He said, I shall not see the Lord, even Yehovah, in the land of the living. So he understood Isaiah's prophecies. He was very faithful. He behaved based on the teachings of Isaiah, very faithful to these teachings of the Lord. And he fully expected to see the Messiah come into the land as, as um, Isaiah prophesied. So this was his expectation. And now he's kind of caught off guard that he's going to be cut off and he's not going to see the Messiah in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. Okay, I'm out. I'm not going to participate uh, in terms of what's going on on the earth anymore. My age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. So they would understand as a shepherd sets up tent, when it's time to take it down, it's all taken down. I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness. From day even to night will you make an end of me. So he realizes this sickness is not going away. He's going into the grave. And there's no more counting of days. It's over. I reckoned till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones. So whatever this sickness is, he's just seeing he's, he's falling apart. He's processing this. It's, it's amazing. You know, it's, uh, it's like aging. Sometimes you might see a very old man or a very old woman, especially those of you who might be very young, and you see a very aged person. But that person doesn't feel like an aged person in, in their mind. They feel the same. They're just much older. Maybe their body's a bit weaker. But they feel like the same person. Uh, here, he is realizing his body's falling apart, but he's still able to think clearly, and, and like he still has a kaya, just that his body is collapsing on him. And he's, he's meditating on this all through the night and seeing how this sickness is going to destroy him. He says, like a crane or a swallow, so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. My eyes fail with looking upward, O Lord. I am oppressed. Undertake for me. So he was in real, real grief over this deathly illness. What shall I say? He has both spoken unto me and himself has done it. So this is, seems like this is a judgment from God that he is going to die. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. So this seems like a, as he's coming to terms with this, he's going to be very careful in, in how he goes forward just meditating on this uh, great illness. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So will you recover me and make me to live. So now he's realizing God is intervening and is going to save his life. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but you have in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. So this illness was corruption. It's just his body's decaying. And yet God in his love for him has delivered him from this pit of decay. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. So this, he, whatever he did, he sees God has forgiven him and it's put behind him and is restoring his life. And then he says this, and this is a quite an understanding you know, Hezekiah wasn't expecting to go to heaven 
and sit on a cloud and praise God forever. He understood he was dying and he understood exactly what death meant. And he was a king, so always uh, uh, constantly following the teachings of the great prophet Isaiah, uh, no doubt the prophet Micah, and uh, had access to the scriptures. And he understood death. You knew what it meant, you're going to die. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot celebrate you. So there's nobody in the grave praising you, Lord. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for your truth. So a very, very clear understanding that death is the cessation of life. And every false religion teaches that when you die, just as Satan taught Eve, when you die, you don't really die. When you die, you just keep on living in another form. Hezekiah understood the scriptures. When you're dead, life ceases. That's what death is, the cessation of life. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living, he shall praise you as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known your truth. So the praise comes from a living man. And as he had children, he's like, I'm going to teach them to praise you. Now, unfortunately, his son Manasseh turns out to be a wicked king who turns back to the ways of Ahaz. Uh, but <laughs> nevertheless, it's clear uh, Hezekiah is going to spend his time praising God. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. And so much in this way of God involves singing. We saw, I believe it was last week, how God himself is going to sing over his people. And here we see Hezekiah, this righteous king, is, is saved by God. And, and he's going to put this, this joy that he has in the Lord to music with stringed instruments. Very, I mentioned this because we want to be very, very clear. The God of the Bible and the God of the Quran have nothing to do with each other, except that they're adversarial to each other. The God of the Quran is, a, is, a, is an adversary to the God of the Bible. And the God of the Quran hates music. Uh, the prophet Muhammad suffered from epilepsy, and therefore he couldn't have dogs near him, because if they just suddenly started barking, that could trigger an epileptic seizure. So he hated dogs. Dogs were evil and had to be killed. And uh, he hated music for the same reason. Music could trigger an epileptic seizure. And so this God of the Quran bans music. The God of the Bible loves music. It's not the same God. Verse 21, for Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. So this is how we see this sickness. Maybe it's something like what happened to Job, but it certainly was some kind of affliction in his body and his body was decaying. Uh, but this is what Isaiah said he should do to get a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster on the boil and miraculously he'll recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So Hezekiah wanted some evidence that his prayer was in fact going to be answered. There's more detail of this uh, event in 2 Kings 20, but I just want to read a part of 2 Kings 20 just to bring out a little bit more detail around this sign. It says here in 2 Kings 20 and verse 7, 
And Isaiah said, take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. So Hezekiah would have had um, attendants, and they're the ones taking the lump of figs and, and putting it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah had said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, this sign shall you have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? You choose. And Hezekiah answered and said, it's a light thing for the shadow to go forward 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees, a little bit more detail than what we see in the scroll of Isaiah. So uh, God actually offered him a choice and he chose the more difficult thing just so that he could be absolutely sure he, he was going to escape this illness. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down into the dial of Ahaz. At that time, Berodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah. Now it's important for us to understand that at this time, Babylon is really nothing. The, the superpower on the earth at this time is Assyria. And, and Babylon is not something much to worry about. And so now Babylon is starting to emerge, but this distant nation heard of the king's sickness, and he sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So let's go back now to the scroll of Isaiah, where we just saw that little bit of extra detail in 2 Kings, the historical record. But let's come back to Isaiah, where we're going to see the same passage. Verse 1 of now chapter 39. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah, he was thrilled about this letter, these letters and this gift. And he showed, and, and so the people came, and he showed them the house of his precious things. So they're coming with this gift and these letters, and he's just over the moon. Remember, the whole problem we're seeing in the book of Isaiah is this problem of pride. That we saw that with, the, that's the root cause of the problem with Israel. It's the root cause of the problem with Judah. It was the root cause of the problem with King Ahaz. It's the root cause of the problem with all of the Gentile nations. And despite this righteous king, despite his faithfulness, we're seeing pride again. And so we almost got caught up with a human being. But thanks to the way Isaiah is structured now, he's going to end first Isaiah showing us that even this faithful human being is afflicted by pride. Therefore, he's not the answer. And therefore, we go into second Isaiah, beginning in chapter 40 through to chapter 66, where we come to learn of the true answer, the, the true uh, Messiah, the one who is the opposite of pride. And because of that, the one who is able to come as the, the lamb to save his people. So here we see this righteous king who's performed so well. Now we see his, his seduction by flattery.
We all want to feel important. We all want to be appreciated. And we can, if we're not careful, we can succumb to flattery as did Hezekiah. So he was happy of their visit of them, their gifts. And he showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. It's like, hey, look at me. I really am wonderful. And thank you so much for this attention. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Like they're just they're taking notes. Okay, really, what else do you have here? And uh, he was just really enjoying the praise and the attention. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, what said these men, these foreigners that came to you, what did they say? And, and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they came from a far country unto me, all the way from Babylon. They came to see me because they heard I was sick. And they brought gifts and a really kind letter. They came from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, what did they see in your house? And Hezekiah answered, all that is in my house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I didn't show them. I was just so happy that they came. I showed them everything. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in your house and that which your fathers have laid up in store until this day. So this entire wealth that you as a nation have accumulated, all of it shall be carried to Babylon, this next emerging world empire you're going to be a victim of Babylon. So yes, I saved you from Assyria, but it's not the sort of once saved, always saved. Yes, I saved you from Assyria, but if you depart from me, that's okay, I can raise up Babylon and deal with this unfaithfulness. And that which your fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And of your sons that shall issue from you, which you shall beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So they're going to take and castrate your sons and, and just have them as slaves, serving the king of Babylon. Then listen to Hezekiah's response. Listen to, listen to this response from Hezekiah. He says, then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, and it's almost like he's saying the quiet part out loud here. He says, good is the word of the Lord, which you have spoken. It's almost like uh, Eli, when he heard the word of the Lord and just accepted it. He says, good is the word of the Lord, which you have spoken. And then he says the quiet part out loud. He said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. So it's like, okay, this calamity, although it's gonna come upon my people, upon my nation, upon my issue, at least it's not gonna come upon me. So there really was, again, wonderful, wonderful man, remarkable king, a tremendous king. So we have a lot that we are grateful 
to Hezekiah for at the same time a human being. And that's really why we have to go through line upon line so we can just see and understand what is this message that Isaiah is bringing to us. And here what we see very clearly is there's a root problem in man and it's pride. And despite this incredible performance and of, of faithfulness of Hezekiah, these Babylonians came and flattered him. And because of his pride, he was just easily seduced. The same thing is happening today. So we've got to ask ourselves as Christians, are we easily seduced? Can people come along and tell us things like our lives matter and we're just easily seduced? Do we have this same problem of pride? Because just like Hezekiah, God means to stamp it out. And either we can fast and pray and, and, and work on getting this out ourselves, going through annually the days of unleavened bread and really taking to heart this, this unleavened approach to life, or we can be crushed by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians. And so when God now moves, we, there's one narrative in the Bible, and so when God now moves to crush his people, Judah and Israel in this end time, we are on this earth. And as we go about doing God's work, we can very much be caught up in all of this. And the question is, are we all about exalting Christ? No matter what, do your worst, we're just going to do our best to exalt Christ. Or are we going to be easily seduced? Are we going to be offended, easily offended, and turn away from God because of pride? In fact, Pastor Murray gave a fantastic sermon just this past Sabbath, where he actually talks about this the tool of the devil to speak into our self-interest and seduce us this way. That the battle is really against our self-interest, because that's the, that's the device that Satan uses. So next week, Pastor Murray will join me. And hopefully, uh, brethren, you have enjoyed this study as much as I have. As I say, I really, it's, yeah, I just got used to being in Isaiah. And now it comes to a close, but no, no worry. Uh, we can take all of these lessons from this great prophet and take them into the next book that we study. We're going to return to Psalms. And then, uh, God willing, after returning to Psalms, we're going to look at the prophets Amos and uh, Hosea, God willing, and then we'll see where we go from there. So brethren, uh, thank you so much for joining me. And those of you who I know have been with us for over three years now uh, studying this book, thank you so much. Hope that you have been edified by it. And I look forward next week for you to interact with us uh, live, sharing with us your questions and your comments and thoughts on this wonderful book. God is faithful. And that's what we see that it doesn't matter what men do, God doesn't change in his faithfulness. So we can trust him, we can rely on him. That's the fundamental lesson that we take from this wonderful, wonderful prophet of Isaiah. God bless you, brethren. Jesus is Lord, he's faithful. We eagerly anticipate his return. God bless. <laughs>